0: To not having clients that do very very stupid things like well, I have but okay sometimes yes. they do stupid things
1: but uh and we love them
0: but we had a, a fan of the funny. show send us a, a list of like rap lyrics where they pretty much admit to crimes
1: <laughs> this is for, like real stuff right so I had a homicide case where um i guess he was rapping and he was a rapper and he had friends who were rappers and they rapped about the homicide and he was identified through the videos Mm -hmm. and music was pretty good uh but it was kind of awful listening to it into trial because it's like oh there
0: goes my identity defense (laughs) well i mean like the most the most recent one that was mentioned it was back in 2017 but uh uh, an artist who goes by the name Tay K um, did a rap song about how he's on the run after he robbed and killed somebody, and he was ultimately convicted. The lyrics were used in the trial. Yeah. And he was sentenced to fifty-five years in prison, which down in the states actually isn't very much. No, that's so they're that's, a little bit crazy with the sentences sentence. down there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I looked into it, it was just like, you know, well, he committed that murder. Um, he was also on the run for another murder. He's just constantly involved in shootings and stuff like that. And, uh, but there's uh, like, you know, it's interesting too, because on the list is like a song. now he, he didn't actually do any of this stuff. There's no evidence that he ever did it, but Eminem had a song called Kim, which was about his ex-wife. And it was a song about him killing his ex-wife. <laughs> I, I know he took a lot of flack for that.
1: Yeah. You know, but it, you know, it's, it's where, um, uh, where, where is it where fiction mimics life or wh- whatever it is. And so, you know, some of these um, songs, some of these rap songs, and it's not particular community, but you know, it, it winds up um, being used in criminal cases and used quite effectively. And I've had that experience a few times. I think Chris, who's a partner in our office here has had that a, a few times and it's really, it's, uh, it's a problem. <laughs> It's like, you know, you just put out all that evidence all over the uh, social media.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the nature of, you know, music and stuff like that where they say things that are extreme. I don't, I don't know how you really sort of prove something is real as opposed to just sort of made up as a, a fictional story to tell. Well, I'll tell a you song. how.
1: Because we experienced it. So, so this is real. This is, you know, so it's part of our episode sometimes is to give you a real look. Behind the scenes, as to how we defend stuff, and sometimes things are not defensible. Um, but uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, a serious homicide case, where the individual in question was a very talented person, which is what what made it very sad. the The accused was talented, and um, and had done a rap song with his friends, maybe when they were, you know, not in the best state of mind, and there were particular elements of that rap song that um, clearly could only be said by somebody who knew what happened, right? So in Canada, you know, the police do a very good job of not broadcasting facts about a case uh, unless they need the public help uh, to try and identify an individual. And then they're very careful about what they release in in a press release. So there are certain facts sometimes that, of course, they don't release that may show up in like in my case, with a rap song where the conclusion <laughs> Like can where only the body
0: is buried. <laughs> yeah,
1: like almost as close as that. So, you know, that type of stuff, and along with pictures, um you know, it involved, you know, the theft of also a piece of jewelry that was rather unique. And then that showed up uh, him sharing on social media and wearing in the rap song. And so we went as far when we were doing the defense going out to whatever we sourced out what jeweler would sell it sourced out the jeweler went and interviewed the jeweler found out how many pieces were made me there were only like three made because it was quite a unique piece the two other were accounted for and it was like oh man this is not good and you know we were doing everything we can but that that that's a perfect example of how sometimes people do things that are foolish and in fact this was a very serious case where uh, somebody lost their life and the evidence was produced by the accused that's an inside look at some of the stuff we deal with you know it just happens you know it's not that's not the mainstay of our practice but it happens
0: well there's a there's a thing um, called the darwin awards where they they give like you know the darwin award for being uh, you know so stupid they they did something that's like unbelievably stupid they have i came across some hilarious criminal ones but also i remember and this is sort of a childhood thing and i know you're looking at sort of a printout of it but we used to always have a reader's digest in our house and they had some really funny true stories yeah. of things or like in this section. And they, they actually have a collection of true stupid criminals that Yeah. You know, and, and to me it's it's not so much about
1: stupidity, it's about being caught up in where we are now in this generation, you know, about the power of social media, the power of wanting to be followed. The power of wanting to be an influencer in some way, and it you know it may not be about a fashion influencer, it may not be about a, you know a food influencer or something of that nature, but it's the power of wanting to be wanted, of wanting to be known and wanting to be famous.
0: Having attention, I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think it's people, it's funny
1: too because when people people crave that more about, so now than
0: ever, and we talk about motives for false allegations too. Is like people don't understand the the value to getting attention. And they're just like, they're not getting money out of it. And it's like, no, but sometimes the attention is actually more attractive. Yeah. And we get so shit on,
1: you know, when we suggest in a case that this is about attention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can have a particular complainant. So now we're segueing into more of our mainstream type of stuff. And, and we've experienced this where a complainant is making a complaint because their circumstances are not great. And they need attention and they need resources. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and, and that's the motivation. And you know, again, this is where we talk about what's common sense. How do we use common sense? Should it be outlawed from this type of uh, particular case in litigation? We say no. But sometimes that's a real motivating factor.
0: Well, what's the common reaction that's encouraged when somebody says that they've been sexually assaulted? You're stunning and brave. Stunning and brave for making you know for making this public. So, you know, there's, yeah. when you think about what people will do, the extremes they'll go through to get a tweet that goes viral, you know. You know, this is great. This is a great example.
1: You know, what will people do to post something up on social media to get attention? How silly it'll be or detrimental to them it'll be, what they'll say that could be a problem that they'll put up on social media just to get attention. So we, we don't think, in that way any sort of malice maybe just silliness or or you know you're immature or stupid or whatever you're doing it for but you want attention but we don't translate that into the attention you get when you make a complaint in the criminal context and all sorts of resources cool. are thrown at you you know Take particularly Kay's
0: song called the race about his crime you know went platinum <laughs>
1: It's a good example. But we have a case coming up now where one of our issues is a complainant was a person who was here illegally. And by making the complaint, they're no longer illegal in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like an immigration type of fraud thing. You know, like, so this person who's here illegally, working illegally, And it's, cash. it's
0: internationally known that in Canada, if you claim to be a victim of certain types of crimes, you'll automatically get status.
1: Yeah. And support, yeah, yeah. like
0: it's yeah, very well. Like, known. is
1: that not a motivating factor to like make it a false allegation? Yeah, you know, <laughs> as absurd, you know, as the situation is, that's an incredible incentive. And and it's a you know we've seen this before, but it's a perfect example. I, I get to stay in Canada. I get OHIP. I get free education. Uh, I get you know welfare. Yeah, sure. F- this is a, this is great compared to where I come from. Mm-hmm.
0: Not a motivating factor to make a false allegation. <laughs> bullshit. In my limited experience, you've been doing this for 30 years, but in my limited experience, I've been in a number of trials where that was actually within days of arriving in Canada. Yeah, no, we see this. I, I, you know, it's people get caught in this. So um, one of the things actually, because we, we like to talk about cases we worked on trying to make the groundless in, in real stuff, not just, you know, media things and so on, whatever. Right. Um I'd kind of made a list of things that we commonly get uh, encounter when we're talking to people about what kind of evidence we can use in their trial. And we talked about bad evidence where it's going to be really bad for them. But one of the most common things that I've heard is ask any of my friends. I have a police officer who's a friend of mine. He'll tell you I'm not the kind of guy that would do this right anybody right. anybody who knows me they'll tell you and then they they usually go a step further and say not only would they tell you that i'm a great guy they'll tell you she's a person right
1: which <laughs> which you know we yeah. don't find favor with we don't like
0: no so then we have to explain to them why you don't put your character on trial yeah
1: so that's great so we're talking about real cases that we have and common issues where where our clients will say You know, I'm a good guy. Like, you know, here's a letter from a friend of mine saying, I'm a great guy. Can you put it into evidence? Yeah, no. First of all, you don't just put letters into evidence. People have to testify. But more importantly, and something important to understand, in sexual assault cases, the law says you cannot call character evidence in your favor. You cannot call witnesses to say this person is generally a good human being. They're reliable, honest, and sincere as part of your defense on a sexual assault case you cannot call character evidence why because you could be otherwise This is what the system says you could be otherwise a wonderful individual but still a villain in certain respects and there's truth to that so character evidence you cannot call in a sexual assault case so if you're coming to this office and you want to ask us that question watch this video you can't call that evidence
0: and there's other reasons not to put your character on trial, especially if you have a record or anything like that. Outstanding charges. Yeah. <laughs> you open you yourself. Have outstanding charges at Kirkland Lake. Because the Crown can't, uh, you know, Crown in Canada, the prosecutor, you know, in, a, in other places, they can't actually bring in bad character evidence without an application. Good point. Can you explain that a little bit? So, and this is actually a very common problem in, in cases where people are... Um, being charged once they're separating in a relationship right? and then the person goes back and characterizes the entire relationship as, which is very common, says, oh yeah, from the very beginning or maybe the first couple of months were nice and all of a sudden they turn into this monster. And they uh, just had that. Yeah. And uh, so, then they, um, so then they start I making escaped tons from prison. Of allegations and they use, you know, the complainants will use words like um, always, right? He always did this and I never wanted this. And I never would agree to this. And he would always force me to do these things. So that ends up being multiple bad character evidence that aren't charged.
1: Yeah. So that's an important point. So you can get in these domestic related cases that can involve assault, threatening, uh, choking, things like that, or sexual assault. And the complainant will be allowed to testify as to the history of the relationship. Um, You generally have to bring an application to call the bad character evidence, which is Allegations, but they're not actually charges. So it's context evidence, um, and you know sometimes it's relevant as to why somebody would not complain earlier. Sometimes it's just to all over our client, and it's not true. And this particular case, we just completed part of our cross examination. This is an interesting thing we'll have to talk about. I we know it's so complicated.
0: It's so complicated.
1: We had to stop the trial to bring a mid-trial application to admit other evidence. In, in sex assault because of the new legislation. But, but the quality and the, the context of the evidence was basically from like the first three months were good. After that, everything was like basically hell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I got to admit, well, you're escaping from prison. Nothing was good. All that type of stuff. But that's, that's what you face. And it's really, you have to really look at it and go, it's just absolutely absurd. And there was a
0: pre-trial application brought and the evidence that trial didn't match the position that was given at the pre-trial application. And then during the trial, a whole bunch of new stuff came out, which again brings up the fact that Canada has eliminated preliminary hearings. And if we'd had a preliminary hearing, then we might have actually had more advanced notice that she was going to say these things.
1: Yeah, so let's try and explain this so people can understand. So this is more... Yeah, again, this is us talking about the law and how it impacts in these cases. So sex assault allegation, amongst other things. We have to bring an application to admit prior sexual history evidence and then records within our possession to cross-examine on, to rebut evidence that the complainant is saying. So basically to challenge her on what she's saying that's not true.
0: And at the time we bring these, all we have is a police statement.
1: So all we have is a police statement. So we're relying on a police statement. Nobody's testified. And in the good old days, if the Crown had a sex assault case like this um, and and it had historical allegations, they would go by what's called indictment, which would allow us to have a preliminary inquiry. But our lovely Prime Minister and his uh, then Justice Minister got rid of preliminary inquiries, which is a hearing. I'll explain in a moment. Got rid of them because he didn't want victims re-traumatized by testifying twice.
0: Right. And also it creates the opportunity to contradict them with various different statements and, you know,
1: and could lead to an acquittal. Oh my God. Oh my
0: God. God forbid. An innocent
1: person could go free. So like, so they got rid of this incredible tool where you have a hearing in front of a judge, you get to cross-examine the complainant, evidence gets to be heard. I've actually called evidence of preliminary inquiry and you are able to test the evidence. And then you're able to hear, under oath, at a hearing, what the complainant has to say. Mm-hmm. So our, our, our Prime Minister then, decided to eliminate this for sexual assault cases, and the Justice Minister, who I'm not going to name Wilson-Raybould, um, got rid of it, not to re-traumatize victims, because we believe victims, because men are always guilty, or if it's same sex, sex lies. assault.
0: <laughs> nobody lies.
1: Nobody lies. Women don't lie. Women don't lie. Our Prime Minister doesn't lie.
0: Gender justice. <laughs> so that's
1: gone. So in this trial, we had, we, we, you know, we're listening to the evidence, and all of a sudden, this shit keeps coming out that's not even remotely close to the uh, statement. It's worse. And here's the newest phenomenon. This is great. They get trained in this way. Okay, so your statement has like none of this content. So when we go to cross-examine and say, why didn't you mention this to the officer who's interviewing you three years ago? I wasn't asked a question. I didn't think it was relevant. Now's my trial. It's my truth i want to talk about it i want to make sure i say everything possible it's my truth right which is the truth but that's very problematic from a defense standpoint you know there should be full and frank disclosure you don't get that and they get yeah. to rely on this
0: you know how they would have been asked if they'd had a preliminary hearing right well, then they would have been asked those questions they but it's not be like... finding this stuff out in the middle of trial so how complicated is it for a trial? To be interrupted partway, and then have to bring a whole application—it's a nightmare. We have to give thirty days' notice, or give thirty days.
1: We're giving plenty of notice. We have to bring another application. It's expensive to our client. We're eating a lot of the cost on it because we want to win for him, and and, and it, it's a pain in the ass. Now we have to set new dates, months, mm-hmm. months
0: and she's mid cross examination.
1: But you know what's what's crazy about so that's this an again issue, is too,
0: because she's mid cross examination. She's not allowed to discuss her evidence with anybody. And yet at this application, at this application,
1: she gets a lawyer. She gets a lawyer. And she'll discuss the evidence. But let's back up for one second. We're not in this case, the police officer was great. Good good interview. Police officer was really good. Police officer said, I want to know every detail of your relationship with this person so I understand the allegations and the context. That's what the officer said. Is there anything else
0: you haven't told me?
1: Is there anything else I've missed? Is there anything you haven't told me that you should tell me? Is there something that would help in understanding this? Good interview. Didn't disclose any of this. Now we have to bring this mid-trial application, which is such a pain in the ass. And, and and who knows where we go from here.
0: So we, you know, and we actually, because of this new legislation, which is currently, we're waiting for the Supreme Court to decide if it's constitutional or not. Can you not. explain
1: that a little bit more to our viewers again? Because we keep talking about it and we hate this. I
0: know. And we're just like, we're all on pins and needles waiting for the Supreme Court decision. So, so new rules were brought in that essentially is reverse disclosure. Defense has to reveal everything in advance, whether it's of a sexual nature, the records that you have or not a sexual nature. And the even if it gets may standing. be about the subject
1: matter of the offense. So yeah. even if you possess a f***ing recording about a discussion with the complainant about the sex that she complains about or the abuse she complains about, we have to disclose it. Oh, my God.
0: I swallowed that wrong. That's what
1: she said. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Perfect. I was waiting for, for a okay. moment for that to be used. So,
1: you know, that, that, I think that's what she <laughs> that's said. That's hilarious. That's what she said. I got to cheers
0: for that one. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so
1: in any event, go ahead now.
0: So, uh, so it's currently under challenge and the decision originally that brought it to Supreme Court, and we had a similar decision in Ontario. This was uh, a decision from BC that said it's only constitutional if the defense only reveals their information after they testify in chief.
1: Right, the complainant testifies. Yeah.
0: The complainant testifies in chief, and but it should be brought before you start cross examination, not in the middle of cross examination, right. right? And uh, so, and actually, that's something I had in my notes. There is like I was like, just explain in chief versus cross examination. So when the crown calls a witness, or
1: us, yeah. So let's say when the crown calls the complainant, they examine them. That's called an in chief. When I call, when the defense calls their client, that's an in chief when the other side gets to ask them questions, that's a cross-examination.
0: And there's a big difference because in chief, you can only ask open-ended questions.
1: What so. happened? What happened? What brought you to the court? And how did Something you feel bad about happened? that? Can you tell us all about it? How'd you feel about
0: that? Yeah. And so the reason it's open-ended is because you can't actually prompt your client what to you're say. You're not supposed to. And yeah. that's legitimate. Your, your complainant or your client or whatever, it's your own witness. So you're not supposed to sort of tell them as like, oh, But at the same time, they can actually say, oh, would it help to refresh your memory if I give you your statement, right? So we have had instances where there's like, is there anything you're forgetting? And they had to be reminded about things. If if you go to your statement at page 65.
1: (laughs) But, you know, what we're trying to talk about here, I, I don't know if you're snoring at the moment while watching this, but what we're trying to get across here is just how artificial these cases have become because of the new legislation. And... And this is what the government has put in in Canada. There's some similar uh, laws in the United States and we're seeing it definitely in the UK. And what it is with this specialized type of trial on sexual assault cases within a domestic context and without without the context of a domestic relationship, it really hampers the defense's ability to cross-examine on legitimate evidence, not have to disclose their hand, and be able to seek the truth and it's really hampered by this legislation. And we're waiting for the Supreme Court of Canada to decide whether this legislation is constitutional or not. And while we're waiting for that decision, trials are going on now. Mm -hmm. With With judges- With split decisions. With split decisions across the board and judges saying like, oh my God, that, that, that recording you had We're not gonna relate it to anything that's going on now. But that recording you had, where the complainant called the accused, or the accused called the complainant to talk about what they're complaining about the sex, that you should have disclosed that ahead of time, that takes them off guard. They're traumatized by you not disclosing it. Are you kidding me? I know. Are you kidding me? It's a conversation. The complainant had with the accused about the sex that she's complaining how are you surprising her about that she said
0: about the charge there was something i said in one of our very first panel discussions actually oh, where god where you were just like that's a really good point where we were having a, a, a panel discussion dispute with somebody yeah. and uh and he was just like well How are they supposed to remember what they said? And I said, it doesn't matter if they remember or not. It's still contemporaneous evidence about what they actually felt. Yeah,
1: because if you have an
0: accused and they say something
1: to somebody three years prior about the offense, that's admissible. Why? It's a rule under hearsay. An admission against interest is admissible. And admission against interest is admissible. So if, if an accused allegedly says something to somebody about an accusation, uh, like I might have done it, I, I don't know, I, I can't remember, that's admissible evidence. But that's not the same about a conversation with a complainant that's recorded by way of text messaging, email, something over an app, or, or on a recorded conversation. We, as the defense, and the accused has to bring the application. It's absolutely unbalanced, absolutely unfair, and it's bullshit. It's completely wrong.
0: And, and I think there's a little confusion, too, on the may have probative value versus must have probative, probative value. It absolutely has
1: probative value.
0: So, you know, we encounter a lot in these applications that there's somehow some sort of onus on us to overcome some sort of burden of proof. To well, show you know, will to show be be that it's, it's...
1: I'm double fisting here. It's water and uh, scotch.
0: <laughs> so... So we're we're being told that we have to prove on these applications. I mean, and that argument doesn't usually, you know, well, with us, this has never held water. But um, they're saying we have an onus to prove that it will be relevant. And that's not actually in advance of the trial until we've actually heard the evidence and all this. We just have to show it could be relevant.
1: Right. But it's still a pretty high threshold. And so what we're trying to say is our government eliminated our ability to review evidence at a preliminary hearing get a full understanding and flavor for what the evidence is, and then properly marshal our defense. That's gone. So we're okay. guessing sometimes, and we're subjected to these applications. That's the
0: problem is we're guessing. Which
1: is completely unfair. And 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 that's the state of it. And we'll see what happens with the Supreme Court of Canada on this legislation. You know, I, I, I'm i not holding my breath that I think it'll be upheld, but it is what it is. Maybe it'll be modified slightly. But I just want to switch to a recent Supreme Court of Canada decision, which I think has caused a lot of... Um, angst, the recent decision about uh, serial murders and parole inel- ineligibility, and I, I want to talk about. Well, there's about that for know, a Well,
0: there's two that I was actually expecting a much bigger backlash to a, a different. The intoxication one. one. The intoxication. Let's one, talk so. about
1: both of these for a moment. Yeah. Um. Because I think this is really important for people to understand, and I've been on, I've, I've been on a number of uh, talk shows to try and defend the Supreme Court of Canada, <laughs> at which sometimes I don't always do. But they were absolutely right in both of these decisions. We'll have a new Supreme Court justice soon. We will, but, yeah. I, you know, these were good decisions.
0: Um, yeah, so one that I thought was extremely important was um, it was a series of, of cases, and there was one from Alberta and there were two cases from Canada. So Sullivan, Chan were from, uh, from Ontario, and then I think it's Brown from um, Alberta. And the Ontario Court of Appeal had said, that it was unconstitutional to deny people a defense of extreme intoxication. Yeah. And this uh, had, this legislation was passed after the Supreme Court had long time ago, like over 10 years ago, overturned, uh, you know, or declared unconstitutional some legislation um, saying you couldn't bring that defense. And they, the parliament rushed out to create new legislation and Every, the news was just full of you know uh women's legal education and action fund, people speaking out about this, uh women's advocates saying this allows men to rape with impunity as long as they just drink, yeah, and so, it was totally false, yeah, it was so, totally false so the,
1: the issue is on this one case is that if if somebody consumes intoxicants, whether it's alcohol if it's so self, yeah well they're they're doing it they're voluntarily taking alcohol and drugs or a combination of thereof, and they get to a state of either psychosis, so you are detached from reality, perceiving other things, or you're an automaton, so you're acting without volition. Okay, Those are extreme states which are very hard to prove. But in that instance, you do not have either the the physical uh, act or the mental intent to do it. And that was barred by uh, the legislation from the government Section
0: 33.1. But they're not responsible for their own actions because they don't know what they're doing.
1: Right. So in essence, that had been around for a long time. These cases were very good cases to preempt the Supreme Court of Canada where people had voluntarily consumed things. One wanted to commit suicide and then as a result, it didn't work and they did something bad. And then the other one had consumed psilocybin, had never experienced before, experienced a psychosis and committed a a criminal offence. But they should not be robbed of the ability to advance that defense because they did not have the mens rea. And
0: Any alcohol arguments? alone is almost never—it's a reverse honest defense. So if you're saying that's right, you have to prove you were in a state of automatism, basically, where you were, like, you were acting in a way that you weren't—you weren't in control of. Right,
1: or you have you, a psychosis. The
0: accused has to prove that. What it didn't
1: mean, and what was trying to be promulgated in the media was that it means that if you're overly drunk or stoned you can rape and that's not true right. that's not a defense
0: somebody can just get and themselves t- extremely drunk and then go and, and rape somebody and then so that's dead yeah oh, it's not my fault and the Supreme that's Court of Canada, Canada was very case. clear it's never been the case
1: Supreme Court of Canada was very clear that's not a defense it's never been a defense and it's not going mm-hmm. and that caused a bit of an uproar but it's okay
0: now but they People misrepresented um, what the decision was in in the past case and then a bunch of the advocates who were involved Informing the new legislation misinformed Parliament about how often this defense was successful It's this is a
1: very important point.
0: I know and so so then this new legislation gets passed and it is so rare for that defense to be Successful or
1: exceptionally rare
0: that that it couldn't even get challenged for for over ten years Because it's so rare.
1: That's correct.
0: And the majority of the times where it would be approved are cases where it's not actually alcohol. It's, it's you know, and, and like this tragic case where the, the kid was actually trying to kill himself. Very sad. And then ended up um, assaulting, and I can't remember if he actually killed her or not, but didn't no. even recognize his own parent in right. both cases.
1: So we're going to transition to another Supreme Court of Canada case, but the reason we're bringing up is about how how in society and on social media and in public discourse we frame an argument. And how framing an argument can skew what we're trying to accomplish, and that's what's very pernicious now with this type of pernicious, pernicious, like that word, insidious. Uh, You know, that's the that's the mischief that's caused by framing an argument in a certain way.
0: Alchemy. What was the what was the thing? That's a
1: good one. Yeah, the crown attorney (laughs) used alchemy of it. I I I like that term. But Supreme Court of Canada recently struck down the conservative government in two thousand eleven put in legislation that there's uh, multiple murders, so like a serial killer, that you could have a stacked parole ineligibility. So if God forbid somebody killed three people, you can uh, then have parole ineligibility at 50 years, 40 years, 75 years, and there was the killer in in Quebec with the Moss killing, uh, of Bissonette. He appealed to uh, eventually, to the Quebec Court of Appeal, Supreme Court of Canada, and they declared unanimously that the legislation was unconstitutional because under Section 12, cruel and unusual punishment, it was uh, cruel because in our...
0: Unlike the states where they can just sentence people to like 999 years. Right,
1: but we believe and our our legislation about that somebody should have a chance, a hope, a faint hope of parole uh, is in line with human rights legislation at The Hague and across the world. Okay, so it's not in line with the United States. What's very important about this is there was a massive misunderstanding because of the way this was framed in the media. Do you know how many questions I got? Well, is life just 25 years then? If you're convicted of first degree murder. I didn't
0: understand this until just recently. Like well, I actually this, haven't.
1: This is what freaked me out. We're probably we're gonna end on this, okay? But this is what freaked me out. And this is why I want why we're doing this so that people who start to get interested in in these podcasts, and if you do, like, share, and subscribe, (laughs) like, share, and subscribe, it's about how you critically analyze the information you're receiving and you understand the framing of the argument. The framing of the argument is what leads to injustice. So the framing of the argument was a certain candidate for the conservative leadership federally had said, the Supreme Court of Canada thinks it's okay that a mass killer in the mosque case should be free one day okay that's not true and nobody should elect that motherfucker as the leader of the conservative <laughs> party because he will set us back and he's he's not telling you the truth because that's not what or, or he doesn't
0: well, over. or he doesn't understand the truth
1: he's not that dumb supreme court of canada was unanimous in this decision and as much as we may disagree sometimes with the Supreme Court of Canada, these are very well-educated, highly, you know, uh, 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 these are people who have achieved greatness. They're on the Supreme Court of Canada because they're very bright. I have great respect for them. And they try and get it right. None of them try and do it wrong. They try and get it right. But this was a unanimous decision. And this political Which it actually wannabe, says a
0: lot because... You know, I, I would actually like to point out how many dissenting opinions have been issued by this particular court Yeah, there's, option,
1: there's often Which fraction. Which shows how honest they are. Right, you know, but this was a unanimous decision. Yeah, These was. are people who really you know, tried to get it right, and I have a great respect for that. And this, this wannabe leader of the Conservative Party just s***ed all over them mm-hmm. for political gain, and I hate that. Well, it's, it's like
0: very that. important to keep a separation between the legislative and judicial branches. But what I'm most concerned about is how
1: you frame the messaging, how you frame the argument. The argument was that somehow Supreme Court of Canada thinks that, you know, this killer should be free one day. And that's not what they said. Here's, here's newsflash. If somebody's convicted of first degree murder, one, two or three counts or more, guess what? It's life
0: so what's it's life in 25 or life i no. was i always thought that it's 25, 25
1: years to life parole ineligibility is 25 so, years
0: I, I, just, so just, what does life mean your natural life okay because i always thought in canada the the limit was 25 years no i thought a life sentence was 25 years no no and that's how they frame it why no. did i think that though because
1: it's the way that's a wonderful argument and you're exceptionally bright it's how they frame it. To stop politicians frame. It. It's how they frame it. Right? It's framed Strike the pose. Strike a pose. It's framed it's framed in such a way to mislead you. Life imprisonment is life imprisonment. At twenty five years, a person convicted of, of first degree murder or multiple first degree murder offenses can apply for parole. That's it. They can apply for parole. That doesn't mean they get it. Right. And the chances of a mass casualty murderer getting out is like nothing. Okay? So we have this incredible frenzy over, over the nothing. fact that we want to be in line with, you know, generally the, uh, the the human rights legislation across Commonwealth countries, including The Hague. And, and we get all twisted about it because of framing of an argument. Yeah. And That's... and what worries me about that is how we frame other arguments in the criminal justice system to vilify people, to create wrongful convictions, and to create legislation that is anti,
0: anti-democratic. I know, I was gonna hit the button over. That's what he said. General frenzy over nothing. That's when I was going to hit it. And I was like, no, but it's too serious, what you were saying. It, it, it's, it's so just, important. You know, the reason I, I we're going to end now, but yeah. it, it just drove me crazy
1: because the framing of an you? argument, well, you can take this home. The framing of the argument is so important, and we need to critically think about this. So, you know, when you read about it or you hear about it, you know, just think about what we've said. Thank you. I'll give you just a little drop so I can, cheer. There we go. Good show. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Like, Again, if you like subscribe.
0: it. Subscribe. Also, hit notifications so you get notified of new videos because... They're coming out soon.
1: Max will be dropping Sunday. Right on. Take care, everybody.